This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 9, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Incredible Stories Podcast. I'm Josh Virila. Let's learn something new together, shall we? Today, we are diving into one of Disney's forgotten characters, and, and that character is Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and how Disney got it back with the help of a sports anchor. Hmm, intriguing. Well, let's, let's begin. So, now, Disney has a long list of famous and beloved characters. We all know Mickey and Donald, of course. But are you familiar with some of the lesser-known characters? From Horace the Horse to Mortimer Mouse, Disney's surprisingly long list of obscure and little-used properties are left to languish in distant memories for their fans. Now, Their usage mostly hinges on the popularity of the character of that time, but sometimes the lack of use is for legal reasons, like not owning the property. Most people are aware of the legal juggernaut that Disney is. If anything, they are thorough on protecting their properties. But this wasn't always the case, especially early on in the company's history. Before, they were a very diversified, multifaceted, global entertainment conglomerate. Disney was just a cartoon studio, founded in 1923 by Walt and his brother Roy. Its first iteration was known as the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio. Now, in 1927, Disney created his first original character along with Ub Iwerks as part of an all-cartoon series for Winkler Productions. This, of course, being Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, or just Oswald Rabbit. So, Winkler Productions wanted Disney to create a cartoon for Universal Pictures. So, in this instance, Winkler Productions was the distributor of Disney's cartoons to Universal. So, Disney made 26 Oswald Rabbit cartoons in this year. But the Disney company didn't own the rights to this character, even though they created it. Oswald was owned by Winkler Productions, who hired Disney, like I said, to make the cartoon for them. Now, because of some legal loopholes, Disney lost the contract to continue making Oswald cartoons, which, let's be honest, listeners, probably worked out okay. As in 1928, Disney went on to create their one cartoon above all. Ominous noise. Mickey Mouse. But let's stay with Oswald, because that's what the story is about. So, in the style of most of Disney's characters, Oswald was an anthropomorphic black-and-white rabbit that wore shorts. And his first incarnation that Disney made, as part of their contract with Winkler Productions, was rejected by Universal because of the production value of the first cartoon, which was called Poor Papa. Universal thought that the character of Oswald Rabbit looked too old and was sloppy, So, Disney went back to the drawing board, (laughs) and cleaned it up. 
made the rabbit younger. And his first appearance was in the hilariously titled Trolley Troubles, which, you know, I've watched. And, and you can find this on YouTube along with his other cartoons. And if you're a fan of the 1920s cartoons style, this one will be pleasing. Oswald has a zany ride as a trolley conductor, which ends, spoiler alert, with Oswald in the water. But, you know, it was, it was kind of fun to watch. I, I like it. It was entertaining. But let's go back to the basic template of Oswald, hmm? Now, this is where you see Disney's genius. Until this time, most animated animals were pretty flat as far as their character. Stiff animations, drawings with little to no personality. A lot of this was due to the medium being relatively new and the lack of audio in cartoons. Because back in this time, they were, they were silent. This was the 1920s. But... What Disney did was inject personality into the cartoons. He wanted his animated characters to actually be somebody. And so with Oswald, the concept of personality animation was explored. And Disney intended to portray Oswald as a young, peppy, adventurous character, which used situational comedy and physical humor to make audiences laugh. So, so the goal was not to use Oswald as a vehicle for jokes and gags, but rather give him life specific to Oswald. And, and you know, you'll notice in cartoons of this era, a, a lot of the times they were just made um, vehicles for jokes and gags. And this is where Disney, he was a visionary. He saw his cartoons as being more, he wanted them to be more real, easier to relate to by making them not just some stupid cartoon, but like an actual person. Now, Oswald was much feistier than Mickey Mouse was, at least the current incarnation of Mickey Mouse. And this is what's interesting about Oswald cartoons was how fluid he was. You know, he would often break off body parts and blooping into ink, depending on the situation. So he was kind of just like, um, he could like turn into a puddle of ink or break off his leg if he needed to use it for... I don't know, a hammer or something. But Oswald was, to me, in many ways, more interesting than Mickey Mouse. But you can clearly see the early workings of Mickey in the Oswald shorts that Disney created. If you haven't watched any of the Oswald cartoons, again, check them out on YouTube. But if you are familiar with, say, more contemporary, or at least uh, a cartoon that I watched uh, growing up as a kid... Uh, the Animaniacs. Now, that is kind of the look that Oswald had and, and kind of the personality, although I found him to be less obnoxious than Wacko, Yakko, and Dot were in the Animaniacs. But still a good cartoon, and that'll kind of give you a reference point of what the cartoon uh, style and, and characters felt like back in that time. But his personality has been described as egotistical and fallible. So, although he is the hero and a likable character, he often is on the receiving end of mishaps, though generally he triumphs. And that's part of the charm of, of that character. Now, in order to achieve a more lifelike, personable effect that differed from many of the other anthropomorphic animal cartoons of its day, Disney experimented using the same techniques used in live-action films of, of his day, such as camera angles and editing effects, you know, quick cuts and stuff like that. So why a rabbit anyways? 
Well, at this time, there were already a lot of cats, cat cartoons, and making him a rabbit really made him stand out, especially with those long ears. And I say that's probably my favorite part of Oswald is the ears, obviously. I mean, he's, he's pretty cool looking. Now, the name Oswald was given by Universal, who had the rights to name him. And what Universal did is they simply drew a name out of a hat. Close call. But I'm sure someone threw in a Buttface Jones as a joke, or <laughs> or a Rabbit McRabbit face in the hat. Yeah, you know, I kind of wish that would have got drawn out. If I were if I were alive back then, that would have been my submission for the name Rabbit McRabbit face. So Oswald was clearly the most successful Disney venture to date which earned the Disney Brothers $500 per cartoon, and they made 26 of these cartoons. So they also split the year-end profits of the cartoons, so that gained them an extra $8,935. And in today's money, that's about $6,946 per episode, so about $180,000. $596 for all 26 of the episodes with a year-end profit of $124,129.23 for a grand total in today's money accounting for inflation. Drum roll! $304,725, give or take. In today's money. So that's a pretty good haul for the 26 cartoons that they made in one year. Now at this point, business was booming. Obviously because of the success of Oswald. And even though there were only three merchandise items featuring Oswald Rabbit during the time Disney was making the cartoons in the 20s, they were being sold across the country. So they were getting very popular across a large section of society. So now I mentioned that they had three licensed items. And this was kind of, um, you know, of course, today Disney puts out licensing toys and everything for all their stuff across everything. But in the day, it was kind of, um, you know, more of novelty. But what they what they had tied to Oswald were a stencil set, a candy bar and some button pins. So all this rabbit success was bound to draw the wolves wanting a piece or a bigger piece of the pie. And the wolf took the form of, of one Charles Mintz, who controlled Winkler Productions. And he was going behind Disney's back and hiring away his animators. And indeed, Disney was trying to renegotiate the contract that he had with Winkler Productions for more money in order to continue producing high-quality animations. And, and the thing with Disney is he was um, all about the quality of, of the work and the production back then. He kind of was uh, big into the, keeping a good reputation behind his, his work, which paid off for him in the long run, I think. But anyway, so he, he, was, going, he was trying to get more money from his contract uh, to produce more of these, these cartoons. And in 1928, um, this is the time frame that the renegotiation was going on, Mintz basically told Disney if he wanted to continue making Oswald cartoons, he would need to do it for 20% less than he already was. Well, this, as you can imagine, was unacceptable, especially since his animators were leaving 
Now, congruently, Mintz had signed a three-year deal with Universal to continue producing Oswald cartoons on his own. This is why he hired away Disney's animators. Because he needed people to, who knew how to make the cartoons to make the cartoons. And who better to make the cartoons than the people who were already making the cartoons. Very sneaky and very underhanded. But it was cutthroat back then. Probably still is. Well now Walt, after all this went down. He then decided to negotiate with Universal directly. And Universal said that Disney can make new Oswald cartoons in a year's time because they had just renegotiated the deal with Mintz. So, okay, that's better than nothing, right? Well, Walt goes back to Mintz and he let it be known that Disney, and this is Mintz, Mintz let Disney know that Disney had not been granted any rights to the character of Oswald, which Disney had created, but the ownership was that of Winkler Productions. Ah, a wrench in the works. Uh, but Mintz did offer Disney a new deal, which included the less money, and that Mintz would take over the Disney company and provide Walt and his brother Roy a weekly stipend. Well, you can almost hear the ha from Disney as he pretty much told Mintz, no dice. But Disney did not give up. He did not give up. He was a very determined guy. Good work ethic. Disney went back to Universal, who then Universal tried to broker a deal between Disney and Mintz to kind of like, hey guys, let's let's work this out. You guys are, Disney, you're a really good animator. You're giving us good quality stuff. Mintz, you own the thing. Well, let's see. Maybe we can, we can all be friends here. But this did not go well. Eventually, Disney had to come to the sad realization that he'd have to start all over again and relinquish all claims to Oswald. And as Mouse Lore has been told, Walt, during a ride home on a train in Los Angeles, came up with Mickey Mouse. So, and if you watch some of the old Oswald cartoons, you can see some of the proto-Mickey mice in there. I mean, they look very similar except for the ears. And even there, the way they acted were, were kind of similar in the early days. So, okay, you can imagine Disney was defeated here uh, at this point and had to give up Oswald. So Mintz was riding high until Karma came and smacked him upside the head. So two of Oswald's animators at the time, Hugh Harmon and Rudy Ising of Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies fame, went to the head of Universal's and tried to take over control of Oswald Shorts, requesting that they remove Mintz. So the, the, these two guys asked Universal to, hey, get rid of Mintz. We know what's going on. Let us do the, let us be in control of this guy. Well, Universal said, denied. But, and then Universal terminated Mintz's contract anyway. And kept the production of Oswald in studio instead. So I guess they were probably like, you know what? This is getting really messy. Everybody's like stabbing everybody's back trying to get. We'll just stab everyone else in the back first and have sole control of Oswald. Now, I'm not sure how the ownership went from Mintz to Universal, but I assume some backdoor shenanigans. I call shenanigans or buyouts were involved. So, so now Universal owns Oswald, right? As for Harmon and Icing, 
Well, Warner Brothers eventually bought their cartoon studio in 1944, so don't feel bad for them. They made out pretty well and were industry leaders in their field. But man, what's up with this rabbit? Everyone wanted it. It was like the hot chick in high school. But ironically, Mintz and Disney each produced the same amount of Oswald cartoons, 26, during their time of helming the creative control of them. Now, Universal, over the next few decades, produced 142 Oswald cartoons. And the look of the character evolved over the years, from getting more clothing to even changing hair color from black to white, and even adding suspenders. And in fact, the character's personality changed drastically, too. While Disney favored a more spunky, mischievous, but well-meaning character, the new direction found Oswald to be softer, cuter, and considerably less edgy. Totally different in storytelling, character, and style than the initial creation of Oswald. And Oswald found himself to cease after a final cameo appearance in a Woody Woodpecker cartoon called The Woody Woodpecker Polka in 1951. And, and I did watch some of these later Oswald cartoons, and it's like watching a totally different character. It's, it's really weird. I much more prefer the, the older ones. So after his final appearance in the Woody Woodpecker cartoon, oddly, DC Comics did print some Oswald Rabbit comic books. But again, these were a bastardized rendering of the original portraying of the rabbit and showed him more as he was in the later years. So, And these continued to be published through the 60s, but mostly by now they were printed in other countries, uh, and, and most people in the U.S. had no interest and had forgotten about this character altogether. A sad long fall indeed. But considering the character of Oswald was essentially a different character now, just with the same name... Uh, a quiet banishment to a forgotten land was fitting. Ah, but someone did not forget about Oswald. And that someone, or something I should say, was the Disney Company. So let's fast forward all the way to 2006. Disney had by now long been its unstoppable juggernaut of a self, and then Disney CEO Bob Iger dreamed of obtaining this key piece of Disney intellectual property back to its rightful home. So check this out. Disney owned ESPN and had the right to Monday Night Football, while NBC, as part of the NBC Universal conglomerate, had the rights to Sunday Night Football. So Monday Night Football was anchored by a one Al Michaels, and Sunday Night Football was anchored by John Madden. But in 2002, Michaels and Madden had been paired together on Monday Night Football when it was hosted on ABC, a.k.a. another Disney property. So this was a very good duo and well-received by fans. But in 2005, it was announced that Monday Night Football was to move to Disney's other channel of ESPN. And while Michaels would be staying in the move, John Madden decided to split ways and join NBC for Sunday Night Football, 
Well, it didn't take long for Michaels, who had recently signed a new long-term contract extension with ABC and in extension Disney, to want to join his broadcast partner on the new premier home for NFL football, that being NBC for Sunday Night Football. So, yeah, just, you know, about the football thing. Monday Night Football used to be, you know, a bigger deal because it was on a, uh, a cable channel that everybody got. But then when it moved to ESPN, not everybody had ESPN. So NFL moved their more prime football matchups to Sunday Night Football. So that was the more coveted spot for a sportscaster. So yeah, I can't blame Michaels, right? His, his buddy was over on the other channel and they had a good chemistry. Plus he was a top talent. Uh, Michaels was, and he didn't want to be on the second best NFL platform. Sunday night had the better games and a larger audience, so no brainer for him. If it weren't for that pesky contract. Knock, knock. Who's there? Bob. Bob, Bob Iger, surprise mother. So in 2006, Bob Iger, Disney CEO, smelling a deal, reached out to his sports guy and spoke with George Bodenheimer, then ESPN president, and said something like, Georgie, it's Bob from Disney, your boss. I hear NBC wants Al Michaels. Now, I'd be willing to let them have Al, but you gotta get me something huge for him. Yeah! Sure. What do you want me to get you? He's like a broadcasting icon. I'm sure we can get NBC to give us whatever the price. Well, George, four words. Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Who's Wild the Lucky? What? So after a brief history of the inky critter that was originated by Walt... ESPN boss George called his NBC counterpart Dick Ebersol, and negotiations began. After the lawyers looked at it and research had been done and all the T's were crossed and the I's dotted, it was agreed upon that NBC would get Al Michaels in exchange for the rights to Oswald Rabbit, including the original 26 films made by Disney. Universal got to keep the rights to the Universal-produced films and the weird Oswald adaptation rabbit that he had become, which are fine because, you know, it was a different character anyway, if we're being honest. Now, Disney also got coverage rights for the Ryder Cup in 2008, 2010, 2012, and 2014, as well as expanded Kentucky Derby and Preakness Stakes coverage from 2006 to 2011, access to Olympic clips for the 2006 Winter Olympics through the 2012 London Games, access to Notre Dame football clips from 2006 to 2011, and promotion of ESPN Monday Night Football during NBC Sunday Night Football Games through 2011. Now that's savvy. So that's an interesting trade, you know, it's kind of function like an NFL trade. Yeah, I'll give you two draft picks and a fourth round to be named later in exchange for your backup quarterback. Yeah, it's kind of kind of weird. But the, this move not only brought a property home, but pleased Walt Disney's daughter, Diane, 
who was appreciative of Bob Iger, who had told her previously that he wanted to bring back the rabbit. So Disney didn't waste much time and in 2007 began putting Oswald's likeness on t-shirts. Now this would be the first new Disney Oswald merch since those candy bars, stencils, and buttons. And of course, Disney didn't stop there. Plush toys, ornaments, and you know, the usual stuff that Disney puts out. But the piece de resistance for Oswald was being one of the main characters in the video game series Epic Mickey. So that's pretty cool, you know, he, being the face or, you know, secondary face aside from Mickey on a brand new, pretty well-received video game franchise. So that's the story of Oswald Rabbit and how Disney got him back. But did Disney need Oswald Rabbit in the sense of money? Definitely not. But I can see them having this hole in their story, having one of Walt's first intellectual properties not in-house. Not only was the early success of this character a catalyst for the foundation of what is Disney today, it paved the way for how cartoons were to be created and executed. And, and I would submit that the early legal issues surrounding Oswald and the heartbreak of losing this character led Disney to be the fierce legal shark it is today. In, in the way it protects its properties, and, and that makes sense to me. I mean, Disney is notorious for protecting its, its properties. I mean, they don't want another thing stolen, obviously. Uh, you know, I've watched a lot of these early Oswald cartoons while researching this, and I quite enjoyed them. There was a certain charm to the character and storytelling that was uniquely Disney and uniquely a product of its time. But I must think that if Disney never lost Oswald, he may not have gone on to the success that was Mickey Mouse. But on the other hand, Oswald may be Mickey Mouse. That is to say, when you go to Disney World, instead of getting mouse ear hats, you'd be getting rabbit ear hats. And honestly, I think they look cooler and <laughs> kind of hope there is an alternative universe where Mickey Mouse was never created and Oswald would reign supreme as cartoon overlord of a vast Disney empire. Kind of like in the game uh, Epic Mickey. So if you haven't played that, check it out. It's kind of neat. And, you know, that's really the thing with Oswald is I just find him to be cooler looking than Mickey. His ears and his clothing and his attitude is just quintessential early Disney. But you know, a rabbit being lost and coming back from obscurity and taking its rightful place in the pantheon of cartoon characters is not just destined, but aptly lucky. So with that, listeners, I would like to submit to you my single haiku for today. Mickey, not the first. A rabbit came before him. Oswald is epic. So that's the show this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. The story of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit and all the shenanigans surrounding him in Disney's early creation, uh, the, the character that preceded Mickey Mouse. But check out our main site for other stories on IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Send me an email or a haiku. You can send that through the website. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. Rate us on iTunes and peep us out on YouTube and Stitcher. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. 